you will, take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> Let me say from the onset, um, we're going to spend about two or three weeks in this passage. There's, there's no way that um, I would uh, dare try to capture um, everything in this passage that needs to be said um, in one sitting, not if we want to be here for two hours, which um, I, I don't think we want to. I, I'm just going to go it on a limb. So what I, what I want to do before I begin, though, is I want you to do me a favor. I, if you're in the habit of taking notes or writing in your Bible, write, write above it um, just a classic text. And, and since we're not going to be able to go through this in depth, I, I, I want to put a challenge to you to try and study Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10 on your own, to really take some time and, and understand what's going on in this passage, because I think it will um, be a great blessing to you. Everything uh, regarding the human condition in seed form is found in this passage, and I'm just not going to be able to cover it, so I, I'm going to do something very specific uh, today. But I wanted to, to just let you know that this passage is a passage, they call it a locus classicus, or a classic text, because it deals with all sorts of things. Uh, if you're ever curious, why is it so hard for us to change? It's in this passage. Why, why is it that the world is filled with sin? It's in this passage. Why is it that, that our relationships are so hard? Why, why is it that we struggle so much to do what is right? Why is it that the world is so broken? All of that is found in this passage. And, and I want to encourage you to go through this passage and look at that, and I'll, I'll help you a little bit um, in order to do that. But I'm, I'm going to scratch the surface uh, over the next few weeks. I'll try to go a little bit deeper where, um, where I think the Lord wants us to go, but I wanted to say that up front. So let's, let's read this passage, Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read verse 1 through 10. Like I said, we're going to camp here a little bit for the next two, maybe three weeks. Just want to remind us, too, that our, the title for this sermon series is The Believing Church in an Unbelieving World, which means I want you to get a good grasp of what your identity is in Christ. I want you to get a good grasp of the holiness that God calls us to, and I certainly want you to get a good grasp of the perspective that I think we need to have as Christians, which is a graced perspective. That's where we're going today. So let's read this passage. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. Hear now the word of the Lord. And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up 
with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Well, all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Let us go to our Lord in prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, indeed, this is your word, and these are your people. Pray that today you might unite them together in a powerful way, that they might all be transformed by you and your spirit. And so bless us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. About several years ago, as uh, a newly minted pastor, I uh, woke up that morning and I started heading into the office. I, I stopped for a little bit to kind of do some stuff, and I was headed in the office, had my day planned out, and all of a sudden I got a call. And on the other end of the line was a, a man who said, you know, he said his name, I didn't know him, and he said, uh, Pastor Dennis, I need you to come to the hospital because one of your parishioners is in the hospital and he doesn't have much longer to live. I said, okay, I'll, I'll be there. And so I made a U-turn because I was past the hospital and I, I zipped around and I headed to the hospital. I found a parking spot and I hopped out and I began to run to the room that he told me to go to. While I was running up to the room, I started thinking, what am I going to say to the wife? What am I, what am I going to say in this moment? All these things that are going on in my head. And finally, I went to the room, and just as I walked in, I saw this woman um, weeping. And her head was on the chest of her dead husband. And there were some people around her. And I'll never forget the scene in that hospital room because a few moments later this woman raised her head up in dejection she raised her head up in in disbelief she she raised her head up in just a tremendous amount of sorrow and she surveyed the entire room looking at me and looking at uh, the medical personnel and looking at someone else who was in the room and she said, please tell me there's something that we can do. He's all I have. Is there anything that you all can do? And then she started crying again. And uh, there was a very nice doctor. She came over, rubbed the back of her uh, back, and whispered to her, there's nothing we can do. He's dead. And that's a little bit what Paul is getting at in this passage. Paul is getting at the point, and I don't want you to miss it, that, that we're dead. 
We're, we're not just sick. We don't, we don't just have some problems. It's not like, you know, we're confused a little bit and all we need is a little bit of education. Paul is not saying that, you know, our, our real problem is we don't have enough money or we don't have enough time. No, 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 you have to understand. Paul says, you're dead. I mean, dead. And not only that, the truth of this passage is not only are you dead, but you are powerless to do anything about it. And even beyond that, no one around you is as powerful or has the ability, no human being has the ability to do anything about it. You're dead. And actually, if you look at this passage, the point of this passage isn't even that you're dead. Actually, the point of this passage is that God made you alive even when you're dead. Yeah, notice, notice that, let me walk you back a little bit. If you weren't here last week, Pastor Roger did us a solid by preaching a solid message on, on uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, down to the end of the chapter. And if you were paying attention, one of the things that he said is, I want you to look in your Bibles. He talked about the prayer that Paul prayed. And here's the prayer that Paul prayed. Paul says that um, he prays, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know three things. What is the hope of your calling? What are the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints? And then this last one, and what is the immeasurable greatness of the power toward us who believe? So what Paul is saying in essence is this. He's praying that we understand the power of God. Then he goes on to describe how powerful God is. And essentially, and this is the big takeaway, if you want to see how powerful God is, don't look at what's in the planet Look at who is in, on the side of you in the pew. And Paul's saying, in essence, in chapter 2 is this. You want to see the power of God? Look at the person next to you. And by the way, look in the mirror. Do you know how much power it takes to take a nature who's corrupt and dead and trespasses and sins and make them alive together with Christ? Have you ever stood in front of a, a toddler and tried to get them to do something that they are diametrically opposed to doing? That takes a lot of power. Some of you are looking at me, Pastor Dennis, I don't have to look at that toddler. I just look at my spouse. You know, it's hard to get them to move just a little bit. And to that I said, amen. Um, not from my perspective, of course, probably from my wife's perspective, you know, just to put that in context. But we all know how difficult it is to change someone. Some of you are with coworkers and you're saying, man, I wish I could change my coworker, but you can't. Or I wish, Pastor Dennis, I could, I could help my spouse change, but, but you can't. Or I wish there was somebody in my, in my household or in my family I could change, but you can't. And Paul is telling us why. Because we're dead. We're dead. Just like in the story I gave you at the very beginning. There was nobody in that room, no medicine, nothing that could have brought that man back to life. And Paul says if that is true physically, then you need to understand that that's true spiritually. And we see that actually in the context. Look at verse number one. 
circle that and then look at verse number five. Notice how Paul connects the two, that we were dead in trespasses and sins. And then he picks it back up in, in verse number five and says, even though you were dead in trespasses and sins, God made, you, made us alive together with Christ. Brothers and sisters, the power behind chapter two is this, that there is a powerful God who is able to make dead sinners in the live saints. And that kind of power is at work in the pews today. And that kind of power needs to be at work in the life of the church. And as I told you before, one of the ways, one of the reasons why I believe the church is so ineffective, why so many people are not coming to church, why people think church is pointless and meaningless, is because they just don't see the power of God in operation in the church. Let's just be honest. We are a group of people that act like we're powerless. And Paul actually prayed. He said, Lord, open up their eyes that they can see that they're not powerless against the circumstances in their life, but they understand what the power of God truly looks like in bringing dead people into life. And my question to you at the very beginning is, do you believe in the power of God? Do you believe that God is able to change the world that you live in? Do you believe that God is able to save that relative that you've been praying for all these years? Do you really believe that God has the power to change your circumstances in here today? Look, I'm not preaching some health and wealth gospel. I'm not trying to be Pentecostal or anything like that. I'm just trying to show you God's word. This is what Paul prayed for you, that you might understand that you serve a powerful God who is able to save unto the uttermost. And if you don't recognize that, then you don't understand grace. You don't understand the power that we have at our disposal. And so what I'm going to do over the next two or three weeks is to help us understand that, to get a hold of that. Because I want you to live in light of that. So first of all, let's look at this matter of being dead in trespasses and sins. What does Paul mean by that? This is a powerful concept. Paul says that we were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, what does it mean to be dead in trespasses and sins? Look at verse number one. He says that we were dead, and then he uses two words, in trespasses and sins. If you're taking notes, here's the first thing you need to know about death. Death means separation from God. And the reason why he says trespasses and sins, because sin causes us to be separated from God. Trespasses are the things that you do. Sins are the things that you don't do. If I could say it a little bit differently, trespasses is when you break a rule. Uh, of both of these, I was really good at trespasses growing up. Amen. You know, my mother, uh, she would hesitate to leave us at home because we were a bunch of pyromaniacs. We would set everything on fire. And, and she would tell us and tell the neighbor, if you see smoke, run across to our house because Dennis and his brother are lighting fires again. That was me. And to some degree, I still light some fires, amen? That's, that's who I am still. But the point is, trespasses is what you do. And if you take a look at your life, we do a lot of sinning. 
And Paul says trespasses are the things that you do. But the other correlation of that is sins are the things that we're supposed to do and we don't do. That's why sin is defined as missing the mark. We are people that miss the mark a lot. It's not that we just don't measure up. The, the fact of the matter is even when we try to measure up, we fail. And those are things that cause us to be separated from God. So Paul says one aspect of you being dead is that you do things that separate you from God. Another one is this. Look at, at the end of verse uh, number two. He talks about we are the sons of disobedience. That word disobedience is the same word for apathy. And apathy means that you are lifeless. You don't care about what's going on around you. That you're apathetic, you're unfeeling towards the things in your life. That's what it means to be disobedient. It means literally you have no feeling towards what God has to say, and so you walk in disobedience to that. Scholars call this total depravity. And you could write that down, and here's what simply that means. That means that every area of our being is impacted by sin. Notice with me in verse number three, Paul mentions the passions of our flesh. That means our very being, our very nature is corrupted by sin. Not just that, he says, carrying out the desires of the body, meaning our heart's desire is always towards sin. And then he says, as of the mind, Paul says, we always think about that which is sin. And then he mentions at the end, we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of them. In other words, Paul said, from the moment that we are born, we were born loving to sin. That's the total depravity of man. Now, let me tell you this. Uh, Paul goes on to say that the condition is actually worse. In verse number two, he says, not only are we dead in trespasses and sins, but he says that we walked in them. Now, how many of you, uh, how many of you watched The Walking Dead? Right? Some, some Walking Dead watchers inside here today. Uh, zombies. So what is Paul saying? What is one aspect of our character? You're a zombie. You're among the walking dead. If you don't know Christ and you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit walking and working inside of you, you are a zombie. And zombies rot and stink and smell. And zombies don't get better. Zombies don't go around uh, taking self-improvement classes. They only get worse. And the Bible says that without Christ in our natural condition, we are like zombies following after the course of this world. Literally, it means to do whatever is fashionable in the world. You know, when I was younger, I always did what was fashionable in the world. Foolish stuff. I remember doing, I'm not going to say all the foolish things I used to do, but I remember just doing dumb stuff. I remember one time there was a group of us, we would go around throwing rocks at people's houses. And I remember one time, um, you know, we would do it in stealth, and we would throw rocks at people's houses and break, break people's glass, and we thought that was funny. Until one day, one of our neighbors saw us and ratted me out, and then I went home and I got disciplined. And by discipline, I meant corporal punishment. And I deserved it because I was walking in accordance with the things of this world. And Paul says, when you are a zombie, you do exactly what the world calls you to do. 
You follow the prince of the power in the air. In other words, you do exactly what the devil leads you to do. That's what it looks like, Paul says, to be dead. That's our total depravity. Now, that's a pretty bleak picture, but that's the picture that the Bible gives. And, and that's not the popular view in the world. The popular view in the world isn't that man is dead. The popular view in the world is that man is probably well. Or the popular view in the world is that man is probably sick, but we're not dead. And the problem with both of those views, that man is basically good, that, that you know, we're not as, as bad as we think we are, or man is sick and also needs a little bit of help, the problem with both of those views is that they deny the plain teaching of Scripture and they deny the gospel. Paul doesn't say that we are well and all we need to do is feel a little better. Paul doesn't say that we're sick and all we need is a little bit of help. Paul says that we're dead. And the fact of the matter is, when you hear people say man is basically good, or when you hear people say that man is just a little sick, those people are just looking at the eye test, how you and I look on the outside. Recently, I went uh, to the doctor. I hadn't gone to the doctor for a while. When I went to the doctor, I sat down. I told them I hadn't been to the doctor for a while. And they said, OK, Mr. Lewis. And so they got all my information. And, and as they were giving me the checkup, something strange happened. The nurse took my blood pressure. And she said, uh, after she took my blood pressure, she said, oh, uh, your blood pressure is actually normal. I said, OK. And then, then they started doing, uh, checked my, checked my, uh, my, I told them I had asthma, and so they checked my oxygen saturation rate, and they said, oh, that, that, that's pretty good. And then they, they took my uh, lungs and, and, you know, listened to my lungs, and, and the doctor looked at me and it's like, wow, your lungs sound really good. And, and every time they, they gave me a diagnosis, they were like, oh, that's, that's pretty interesting. And it was almost as if they're saying, for your condition, you're pretty healthy. You know, like, I'm like, OK, like, yeah, what did you expect, that I was going to die? Like, I mean, I know I'm a little overweight, and my BMI is a little skewed. But, but they were looking at me like I was a medical marvel. Like, what, what's going on with him? He looked like he's supposed to be dead. You know, like, I'm surprised that his blood pressure is so good. And I'm surprised that all, that all these aspects of his being is so good because he looks like somebody that's supposed to be dead. And let me say this. The same thing happens in our world, but in the reverse. You know, one of the things about the world that we live in is we look at people on the outside, and just because they look good or they have education or they're dressed well, or they have a good job, we look at them and say, oh, they're good. They're good. Now, I survey this room, and I look around. And the temptation for me when I proclaim Christ is to look around and say, why, why am I talking about this stuff? Everyone looks good. And we all know that even though everyone looks good on the outside, there's some of you I know are dead on the inside. 
And that's why Paul is reminding this church at Ephesus. He's saying, don't fall for the eye test. Yes, people look good on the outside, but I'm not talking about the outside. I'm asking you, are you good on the inside? Remember, godly Samuel, when he went to pick the next king of Israel, as he was walking to go and pick the next king of Israel, what did God have to do? God had to come to godly Samuel and said, Samuel, don't look at the height of their stature. Don't, don't look at, at how uh, manly they look or how big they look or how, they, how strong they look because I have rejected all of them. For man looketh where? On the outward appearance. But where does God look? On the heart. Look, this perspective of us being dead in trespasses and sins is based on an inward look at the heart of man. We are dead inwardly. And if you spend your time looking at people just based on the internal, uh, the external realities, you'd never believe what Paul is saying here. You wouldn't believe the gospel. You wouldn't understand your deep need for the gospel. Brothers and sisters, we are dead. And the only way that we can be made alive, as the text says, is being in Christ. Now let's look at that. Let's look at verse number five. This is the second point I want to make. Notice how Paul says, we are alive in Christ. Verse number five, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, God made us alive together with Christ. Now, what does he mean? How do you and I become alive? We were dead in trespasses and sins. How did we become alive? How did we become enlivened? Well, the, the answer to that question is found at, at, in the term with Christ. With Christ. And here's what I mean by that. The word with is the word soon in Greek, but in English, it's, it's spelled S-Y-N, sin. And, and it's, I want you to think about it in the sense of being synchronized. If I, if I could say it like this, I, I, I buy a lot of books off the internet. I love to read. My kids buy a lot of books off the internet as well. Uh, I have a daughter who shall go nameless. Um, every time I turn on my Kindle, there's like five books, uh, fantasy books in my Kindle app. And I'm sure the people are wondering, why is he reading books uh, on theology and at the same time reading books that belong to a 13 and 14 year old? But that's what happens, right? And so when I buy a book on the internet, one of the things I realize when I buy it off Amazon I have to go into my Kindle app, and over on the left-hand side, I have to hit what? Sync. When I hit sync, what happens? What is on Amazon gets downloaded to my Kindle, so that what I bought off Amazon now becomes true of what I have in my Kindle. So here is how you and I are made alive with Christ. When you and I get, when you and I are saved, when you and I come into the kingdom of God, what is true of Jesus Christ gets downloaded, synced with your account. That's why Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, never let I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What is he saying? He's saying that now that I'm with Christ, 
Christ who is in the heavenlies, all the goodness and the grace and the mercy that exists there now becomes true of me. Now I get his joy. Now I get his life. Now I get his righteousness downloaded to my spiritual account. That's what it means to be with Christ. That's how you and I are made alive. Not by anything that we have done. And he goes on to make that point. We're going to look at that next week. But purely based on what Christ has done for us. That's how you're made alive. You're synced up with Christ. And I'm so thankful that that's the case. The power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that raised you and I up. Now, finally, what is the practical application of this? The practical application of this is actually found in verse number five at the very beginning, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins. If I could translate it a little bit different, I would translate it like this. God knew everything about us, and he still loves us. That's how I would translate that. God knows everything about you, and he still loves you. You know, all of us inside here today have been in a, in a group a group setting, and, and we start talking to people, and we hit it off with them right away. And, and the more we start talking with them and getting to know them, um, everything seems great until we say one thing. It could be anything. It could be, I watched The Walking Dead. It could be, um, you know, I vote this particular way. Or it could be, um, I believe this. And before you know it, they're not your friends anymore. You know what? It's, it's risky to open yourself up to people. Isn't that true? It's risky. Because the moment they start knowing who you are, I mean, I'm not just talking about knowing that you're an Alabama fan or knowing that where you work. I'm talking about when you start to open up yourself and people start to know who you really are, that's risky because the more people know about you, the more risk it, take, the more risk it, it becomes that they'll reject you. I had a friend, uh, I was sitting down with him one day and we were just talking and, and there was no one on our hall and he was sitting down and he said, hey, Pastor Dennis, I, he, I wasn't a pastor back then, but he said, hey, Dennis, I'm struggling with something. And I said, well, what, what is it? He's like, I don't really want to tell you because if I tell you, you probably won't be my friend anymore. I was like, hey, man, like, you know, our friendship is rock solid. Nothing's going to happen to it. We're, we're going to be friends forever. And then he says, all right, I'll tell you. He says, you know, I really struggle with um, the thought of eating people. And I, I, I looked at him, and I, I couldn't say anything. And so a few moments later, I told him, I said, hey, I, I, um, I forgot something in my room. I'll, I'll, I'll be back. And so I, I quietly got up and, and left all my books, and, and I didn't go back. I, I came back a, a day later to grab my stuff out of his room. But, but don't you see, there's always a risk of people really getting to know you and rejecting you. Some of you have experienced that. You've been married before, and, and some things came out about, your, uh, uh, you know, about you, and your spouse rejected you as a result of that. Or, 
Or maybe you're inside you today and you were a part of a friend group and they found out something about you and they rejected you as a result of that. All of us have experienced that pain. But one of the things I love about the gospel and one of the things that's so practical about the gospel is that God knows everything about you and he hasn't rejected you. Because in this passage, it says that even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, God still united himself with us and made us alive. There's something about that, brothers and sisters, that's absolutely glorious. And I'll mention this one last thing because I think it's important. You know, we started off talking about the death that we experience spiritually. And then we talked about the life that, come, that, that Christ gives us. But one of the things we need to acknowledge is that that life came at a cost. That Christ had to die in order to kill death, in order to make us alive. And that's the power of the gospel. That even though you were dead in trespasses and sins, the power that it took to raise you to walk in newness of life cost Christ his life. And even though no one, if they truly knew you, would have accepted you, the word of God says this, that Christ knows you and he accepts you. And I just want to put that out here for some of you inside here today. You've been hurt by people getting to know you and then rejecting you. I want to put that out here today that I know some of you, you're thinking, Pastor Dennis, I've sinned. And I've done some things in my life. Well, would, would Jesus ever forgive me? And the answer to that question is, he will. He will. He will never reject those that come to him. And I encourage you, I implore you, to come to Christ. He has the power to change your life. And even if you're a believer, even if it's true today that you're a believer, and you are wayward, Christ still has the power to redeem you and to raise you up so that you might be able to walk in newness of life. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel we preach. Father, we thank you that you knew everything about us. And even though you knew everything about us, you still chose us. Lord, I don't know very many people that if we told them everything about who we are would be willing to accept us, but, but you did. And so, give us the confidence, give us the joy, give us the power to recognize that and, and to live in light of that, I pray. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen.